welcome to episode 139 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 16th of August, 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Oh yeah. Graham. Good evening. And Will. Hello. So let's do first impressions. We had a look at Fosterdon. Normally we look at distros or whatever, but this time we looked at Fosterdon, which is a FOS-focused Mastodon instance. So we're kind of looking at this instance specifically, as well as Mastodon as a whole. So I was the first one to actually register because you have to request an account and then wait for it to be approved, which is sort of fair enough. It only took about two hours, I think. And, you know, they don't want a bunch of spammers turning up so uh, and bots or whatever. So fair enough to them. But then uh, you three eventually made your way over there. What, what did you all make of this? Has anyone got experience of Mastodon, first of all, before this? Well, haha. <laughs> You say you were the first to sign up to, yet then I was the last, but technically I was already there because of the Federation, and I couldn't find the account on what service I'd signed up to. So you all like followed me, and I got email notifications saying, this account has been followed. And then I sat there and went, <laughs> how? I haven't got one of these. But apparently I did, and I set one up apparently on Mastodon. Cloud, I believe it was. Yeah. So um, I was confused. But you'd never really used that before then? Not overly, no. Um, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know about the other guys, but I find the problem was, like, for a start off, I don't think I've given this a fair shake because you picked the worst week of me coming off a week of holiday and then I just got snowed under at work. So I haven't given this a fair tryout and I'm going to keep going at it to see what I think and use it a bit more and merge the two accounts together, which I believe you can do. And I looked at, but never had time for. Right. So it's just real first impressions for you then. Um, But Graham, Will, have you ever actually used Mastodon before then? Yeah, I did have an account, I think on Mastodon Social and used it for a while um, before tailing off. I used Riot on my uh, phone for a while. Really enthusiastic to start off with. And I feel the same way about uh, Fosterdon. But to be honest, the really refreshing thing is, I think I've must have been on Twitter since 2007. I've got an awful lot of, um, what would you call it? Baggage. Yeah, a lot of data baggage, a lot of, and I have to, I do actually still do stuff on Twitter, but it's really difficult to get to the stuff that I'm interested in. In fact, I use TweetDeck in a browser and I've still got my columns for the stuff I'm interested in. And that's mostly how I interact with it. It was really refreshing to start afresh, you know, make a few key choices and the people that you follow. And I enjoyed that. It's not due to Foster Don particularly, but I enjoyed starting again and having a, a, a focus on who I want to follow and that was kind of augmented by the idea of the local feed which is people who are posting stuff on the actual Fosterdon instance which I thought was a really neat idea. I was a bit confused by that at the start um, I didn't really know what was going on and I had seen people on two instances or coming from either their own or a separate server and it's a really cool setup I mean I think it's a great way of doing it but it is just when you're coming from the centralized system, it's a bit unusual, I think would be the word for it. And I felt almost like the local stuff was almost like being in your own IRC channel from back in the day where you had the usual faces sort of thing. And I think that's equally a good thing as well. So I've never used this before. I've Obviously, I've heard about it. I've heard people talking about it, but it never really appealed to me as something which I was going to invest any significant amount of time in engaging with and and sorting out but i'm kind of glad i did 
it reminded me as as a newcomer it reminded me a little bit of the early days of google plus when it was primarily a tech audience talking tech things to tech people and i quite like that about it and it's nice to see a well executed website it loads quickly it refreshes you can scroll and scroll and it doesn't get bogged down you haven't got tons of adverts popping up the content is largely appropriate but after a few minutes i don't know like 10 15 minutes i needed a little bit of sugar from something funny or a picture of a cat or something like that and i wasn't (laughs) getting that that mixture of content and uh, i found it sort of it it got boring more quickly twitter i get bored for a different reason somehow I, I can't really explain it but twitter frustrates me this doesn't frustrate me but it does bore me i think this is exactly how i feel about mastodon and specifically fostodon it's like almost just too much linux and fast like that's all there is there and i've seen many comparisons with google plus and i think that is uh, very much valid but there's just nothing else. I mean, this okay, there's a few people talking about random stuff here and there, but it's not like Twitter is. And maybe that's because I went for a totally different approach here. On Twitter, I have it pretty much curated. If people tweet too much or not enough, I tend to unfollow them. But I like to look at trending hashtags and stuff. And whereas this time, I just followed everyone. I said, like, who should I follow? And then people said, and I just follow. And anyone who followed me, I followed them. But I think the problem is that Mastodon generally is not controlled by a tech giant that is manipulating you to stay on the platform. And so I don't feel compelled to stay on the platform. And obviously that's the whole fucking point of this is to get away from tech giants. But the tech giants have got data science teams and all sorts of psychologists and everything to manipulate you into staying on the platform and to make it addictive and to give you notifications and dopamine hits and all of that shit whereas mastodon just doesn't have that and so it's it's like having a a wholesome meal instead of like shit fried food or whatever And, and i get it like some people want that but i'm somewhat addicted to twitter i think and it just didn't have that you know that sweet taste i know what you mean by that I think of it maybe in a different way. I think there's a good community there. So I would almost treat it not unlike the Telegram group that we have, where there's people who are interested in the same thing and you know what you're going in for. And it's a curated group in the fact that because they have that barrier to entry, it doesn't mean you're going to get like raging arseholes essentially. And you're going to get like a decent bit of back and forth between stuff, you know, interesting topics. And I would treat it like that. And I I treat Twitter in a very different way as well. Like I use it as a (laughs) news source. And I don't mean that's a anti-vax crackpot tinfoil (laughs) news source. It's a things outside of tech. I look for on that. I mean, I obviously go to proper news channels as well, but that I would use for, you know, like something that's trending right now, like, the things that are going on in various parts of the world, whatever, that's where I would use Twitter because it would just be a, here's a snapshot. And I would follow journalists in a certain way for that thing. It's not just random nobodies as well. And then I would I would treat Fosterdon as a separate entity. You know, if I'm looking for some interesting news that people have curated or maybe are reporting on stuff they're doing themselves, then yeah, that's what I use it for. And I, I really do want to give it a proper shot. And last week was just the wrong week. 
Yeah, there are lots of positives. I really like, I didn't try any custom clients. I just used the web client, but it looks really good. It's quick. It's so refreshing to not have to deal with all of the Twitter stuff. And it's really clear when you're following people and hashtags. Um, the design is great. And similar to what you guys are saying, I think I have social media fatigue. I think I have done for a long time. And I don't want that to put other people off who may be new to this or are looking at something to get involved with because they'll come into this with a completely different mindset. I feel a little bit done with it all. Um, I feel like it's not come to any good. So I'm looking for something diff fun fundamentally different, I think. And is this not different enough then? No, it isn't different enough for me. This is this to me is basically like a fledgling Twitter or Identica and even more kind of the danger of the feedback loop of being with the people that kind of reaffirm your biases or reaffirm what you already think already. Um, I'm, I guess I'm looking for something different, which may never come. And I don't want to put people off with that. But ultimately, it's not going to get me over the threshold to make me interact with it more than I do. And I don't on Twitter. It's funny that you lot all tried it in the browser, which I did initially. That's how I signed up. But then I realized, hang on, I'm not some old man. And so then I looked on F-Droid and found Tusky, which I think I'd used previously. And that just reminds me of the Twitter app about 10 years ago. Social media on a phone? What? You need it on your PC. And there was no client for KDE, so I clearly couldn't. Because <laughs> Shocock, the one I used to use for Identica, doesn't appear to work with it. I'm not sure. I didn't overly try, so nobody write in and tell me how stupid I am. I just didn't try it. Well, I tried a couple from F-Droid, and Tusky I found to be the best. It's very simple, very straightforward. You've got your, just the, the home timeline, which is people you follow, notifications, then the local, which is everyone on your server, your instance, and then you've got the global one, which is just everything, which is just a fire hose of every second, millions of or hundreds of posts every second. See, I don't do any social media on my phone, except Telegram or WhatsApp when I have to dial in at the end of a day manually. Um, because I I rather read that stuff on a PC. I just I don't want that on my phone. I don't know why. It just the thoughts of more messages that I'm not reading is just too much. <laughs> what do you do first thing in the morning then before you get out of bed? Well, I've got all my Telegram and email alerts from various servers and stuff like that. It's <laughs> I, I have enough going on that I don't need to be checking in on social media for God's sake. That's what I do when I'm supposed to be working during the day. Fair enough. So, Phelim, you've said you're going to stick around and give it a, a proper go. It sounds like, Graham, you're not. I'm really not sure if I'm not. I might get a bridge working between Twitter and Matrix or whatever and then see if I can get back into the whole thing of, twin. you know, of, what is it called? Tooting? Yeah. Tooting photographs of synths that I'm building, you know, maybe. Yeah. And, Will, what about you? I doubt I will log in again. Maybe once in a while when I remember the website exists, I'll fire it up in the browser and have a look. But much like Graham, I'm kind of done with social media now. It, I rarely learn anything from it, and I've got enough going on in the rest of the time. I'm, I'm probably fine without. Fair enough. I'm not sure. I'll keep it around on my phone and see what happens. But um, I think already I'm fading away from it and uh, forgetting to post stuff that I'm posting on Twitter on there. But uh, we'll have to see. I should point out that I don't think this is a failing of Fosterdon or Mastodon. I think that this is the internet's fault for jading my views of yeah. what's a useful thing to spend my time doing. All right. Well, let's have a look at what we're going to talk about in two weeks time will you won't be here 
I'm going to spin the wheel now. So you're not going to have to deal with this unless you uh, send us a postcard or something. And remember that we want you to uh, send in your further suggestions. There can be distros or software or, you know, stuff like that, Foster Nun. Okay, where are we? Where are, oh, well, what a coincidence. I know you're going to say that I'm lying here, <laughs> but this is genuinely random. It's what we talked about last time, elementary OS. Oh, no way. Genuinely. No way. I, I really, I should start recording this on my phone or something or screen capping it. And, and I still you. wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't yeah, believe yeah. it. <laughs> I did not hack this. I'm telling you, it's true. But Will, you're not going to uh, be doing this, unfortunately. So you could just do it on holiday and send us a postcard or something. I'll take the haunted laptop with me and we'll see what happens. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets. Training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven day free trial. The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to late-night-linux.com slash support to learn more about that. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Let's do some feedback then. And first of all, Jack and many, many other people got in touch to say the podcast Going Linux might be the one you're thinking of for newer users. And yes, yes, it was. That was, I just couldn't think of the name of it. So thank you, Jack. And again, many, many other people. Jack also said, it's actually the first Linux podcast I started with several years ago. And eventually I was led here after they mentioned this show. So uh, we should probably remember in future going Linux. Uh, Thank you for sending people our way. So Anders wrote in, a listener wrote in looking for beginner Linux info for you guys. I've been mulling this over and I think it's unnecessary for the listener. I could tell by their writing that they were clearly computer literate and smarter than the average bear. I do believe that they may benefit from a YouTube video about Linux that could explain lingo like distro, DE, etc. Or maybe just listen to some of the Linux podcasts and they can pick it up fairly quickly. Aside from that, almost anything done with Linux computer is done the same way as Windows computer, aside from installing software. If they have a smartphone, then they already understand how to use differing user interfaces and experience. Now, if they think that being on a command line junkie is part of being Linux, then they should know that it's a separate honor badge. They could get going and almost never touch the command line, and when they do, they will be following a guide anyway. Piping into pseudo-bash, yeah, cool. (laughs) Well, Will, you used to go on about this. The whole point of Ubuntu, or one of the goals of Ubuntu desktop, was that people would never have to use the terminal unless they wanted to. Yeah, and I think it's right to have uh, two distinct mechanisms for interacting with your computer if you want to do it all through click and point and and mouse and menus and that kind of thing i think you should be able to do absolutely everything you need to do but for some things then the the command line makes a lot more sense so anders continues there's a reason a lot of people call their intro to 
desktop Linux a journey. The distro, apps, and other software are expressions of creativity by talented and passionate people. It's like being invited into someone's impressive workshop every time I start up a new distro. The tools are the same, but people organize them differently. They decorate the workshop differently as well. In some workshops, I can get working immediately, and in some, they're less comfortable. I can appreciate them and glad they exist and others can use them, but they're not for me. The listener just needs to start their journey. I thought that was quite a good analogy, not a car analogy or breakfast cereals for once, so uh, that was good. And uh, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about elementary OS, as I mentioned last time. It's, it's just not for me, but you know, I'm glad that it exists because it is definitely for some people and they really enjoy it. I think the initial getting started is always the hardest bit because there's so many new different bits to learn, you know, even just terminology. I remember going back to like burning a CD-ROM. I mean, as a teenager, that was like, what the fuck are you talking about? You set fire to it. Now, clearly you don't set fire to a disc, but, you know, stupid things like that. And we've got loads of them. Yeah, I don't think we do a very good job of onboarding people onto Linux. Um, I mean, Ubuntu has done a, a, a great job over the years of, of promoting a lot of things, but it's still a bit of like a ski jump. It sets you up for a certain experience and then you're kind of left to find your own way. And I think Anders points this out, that you've really just got to dive in and kind of learn these things um, and consign them to memory and become comfortable with it, which shouldn't necessarily be the case. Good UI basically describes itself that you you shouldn't have to learn what a DE is or what the command line is even necessarily. The beauty of these days is though at least you can do it in a VM and you can not worry about breaking your machine. So yeah. what is the frequency of my monitor? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking oh, X config. Oh. Warning this could destroy and irreparably damage your monitor. Oh, I don't I can't afford another one. <laughs> It cost me £2,000. It was exciting though, wasn't it? Writing mode lines. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was terrifying. <laughs> Especially with CRTs where we would actually Fucking start 70 year olds <laughs> shitting your pants <laughs> typing this in going, oh God, don't typo this. Kids these days. <laughs> Lightweights. Yeah, like me. Like, I never had any of that shit. Like That's just all stories I've heard. And <laughs> it was real, man. <laughs> you weren't you there. there, man. <laughs> <laughs> No, I wasn't. Thank fuck. So Parker wrote in related to this. He said, in relation to the conversation you had about converting people to open source, we don't need to get more users. We've one on the server, which is, in my opinion, better than the desktop, because you don't have questionable people who know nothing about Linux bothering everyone and taking up their time. As it is, only technical people will use Linux, which means you'll get better help from technical people and fewer questions mucking up the search results for a solution. Having only technical people on the OS removes many questionable figures like Trump supporters or the government in general, so we can have a more respectful and polite community. It seems bad sometimes, but it's much better than having millions more people bothering the forums. Either way, only having smart people makes for a more civilized community. This is very wishful thinking. (laughs) (laughs) It really is, man. I think that, like, maybe not so much the Trump supporters and stuff, because there's a lot of them. There are a fucking lot of them in the Linux world. But it's more about, like, having a technical barrier to entry is not necessarily the worst thing that you can have. You know, because if just anyone, and literally anyone who's never used a computer before, comes to Linux, like, we're supposed to be advocating for that, aren't we? But then, ultimately, do we really want people who are too thick to work out 
how to install Linux. Like, isn't that barrier good? I don't know. Maybe that's elitist of me in gatekeeping. I think it is. I think that it's kind of a, a self-policing community, a self-admitting community. If you're willing to put in the effort to understand how to get it installed, how to get it working, and you know, these days I, I admit it's, it's pretty straightforward, but to stick at it, I think you should be encouraged to learn and we shouldn't um, put up barriers to people who want to learn about Linux. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and Trustradius. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and their upcoming bare metal release. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Okay, Anta writes in, I'm curious as to why Joe and Graham do not seem to use Linux for their audio production. On a few episodes, I've heard Joe mention that he uses Windows for audio production, and Graham has mentioned that he uses macOS to do the same. Is this simply for compatibility with software that people you collaborate with use, or is this for another reason? I produce electronic music myself as a hobby, and I do it all in Linux. I use Ardor as my door, and a bunch of free and or open source LV2 and VST software synths, and I can get extremely low latency with GuitarX and Jack when I feel like plugging in my guitar as well. With all the great audio software available now on Linux, and easy-to-use distros like Ubuntu Studio, I don't see the need to keep a Windows or macOS box running for that purpose, so why do you? It's because I hate freedom. <laughs> yeah, we just despise it. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, in my defense, I used to edit all the old podcasts in Linux, and I still use audio software on Linux. I've got Bitwig 4, which is a fantastic new release. It's proprietary software, but it's a brilliant piece of software. And also, the Raspberry Pis that I talked about in FosTalk Live, they, you know, they're Linux sound generating stuff. And I still do a lot on Linux. Um, but yeah, personally, for my preference, I, I like trying out different things. Um, I like not just being restricted to Linux. And macOS also serves the purpose of being a context shift from the work environment that I use, which is part of it as well. But overall, I use Ableton Live. I think that's the main thing. Ableton Live with Max for Life, which is like a, a super modular programming interface for Ableton that allows you to do all kinds of things. And other people have done all kinds of things. And there isn't an analogous equivalent on Linux. There's something like probably pure data is the closest you can get to that. And then pure data integ integrated into something like Ableton. So that's a very specific use. But also, I must say that I do find audio a little bit more stable and predictable on macOS, especially when you're running on a high CPU with lots of inputs. And I use about 44 consecutive inputs 
which I control from a hardware controller, which works only on macOS. I have trouble when I plug my camera in and it takes a mic from my headphones. Well, I've just got everything plugged in at the same time. I don't use it all at the same time, but if I want to go and play on something, I will. Yeah, there's nothing worse than having to fuck around plugging cables in and shit. If you've got all your synths plugged in and you can just start playing them, that's what you want. So I totally understand that. For me, it's almost the opposite. I don't like trying new things. Shocker, XFC user. (laughs) I've been using Reason for nearly 20 years now. I can't believe I'm that old, but uh, like 15, 20 years. And so if I want to make electronic music, like the Two and a Half Admins theme tune, if you want to call it that, I wouldn't know where to fucking start doing that with Linux. But with the Windows partition and Reason installed, a very old version of Reason at that, I knocked that up in about an hour, maybe less than that. And it's similar to you with your um, having everything hooked up. Like I could spend hours and hours and hours learning to do similar things with hardware and free software since, but like I've got 15 years of experience with reason if you want a noise going what 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 i can get that going in like two seconds for you so ultimately that's what it comes down to it comes down to i am used to using a certain set of tools and i know how to make them work and they continue to work through xp 7 and 10 and probably 11 like these old 32-bit applications maybe not an 11 but windows 10 will be around for long enough hopefully and so why change? Like, I'm, I'm quite conservative with a small C. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. I have played around to some extent with this stuff on Linux. And Jack is a bit of a mystery to me. It's, it's I, I don't know. I, I never seem to have great success with it. And Ardor, I've had some success with that. But it just comes down to sticking to what I know. And if it works, then... I'm just going to use it. And these Windows partitions don't ever see the network. Don't get me wrong. I, they, they do not touch my fucking network. I disable the network interface in them and just go in there, do the thing that I'm looking to do. And then I'm back in Linux connected to the network and, and browsing and stuff. And I, I use Audacity quite a lot as well. That I, I think is a very powerful tool. I know that you've dissed it, Graham, but I would defend it. It's, it looks horrendous, but I don't give a shit about that. It does what it needs to do. Um, and the noise reduction, I think, is as good as proprietary, uh, like really fucking expensive noise reduction plugins. But I think it just comes down to me being conservative and stuck in my ways. Yeah, but there is an awful lot of good Linux audio software, and it seems to be becoming more and more popular. On the synth stuff, there's a really amazing synth called um, Vital, which is a wavetable open source synthesizer, and it sounds just as good as the really expensive proprietary stuff on other OSs. So, just because I use Mac OS sometimes, I wouldn't let anyone, I wouldn't want it to put anyone off if they feel like Linux isn't up to it, because it is. And, you know, Ante's right in that way. Yeah. And if you were starting from scratch, if I was starting from scratch, then I'd do it all in Linux, of course. But, because I started before I discovered Linux and I learned how to, you know, the, the number of hours that I sat there playing with Reason, twiddling the knobs, making noises, pressing tab to flip it around and connecting LFOs to fucking control voltages here and, that, and just crazy shit that I did with it. You can't like just transfer that knowledge. You can transfer some of it, but the very particular knowledge that I have with Reason, I'm not saying I'm some master of it or whatever, but like I can make the noises I want to make with it. And I just, I don't have time to learn it all again. But I'm sure people will tell me that I should. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when, who knows, maybe something will have happened in the news or 
maybe we'll just talk bollocks as usual we'll have to see but until then I've been Joe I've been Phelan I've been Graham and I've been Will see you later